Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn and I'm here with Matt Leach. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. Yes, I'm good. It's good to chat to you. It's good to talk to you. So we're, we're doing this slightly differently. We're in different parts of the world and actually doing this intro at the start. Yeah, I mean, this episode was recorded in Brisbane. Uh, you had some awesome guests to chat off stage from the Brisbane Design Conference, so we thought we'd have a little bit of a little bit of a you, chat. And a little you bit couldn't of come because we you were too busy having a baby and stuff. Well, you'd had the yeah. baby, but you were you were learning to be a father. Keeping the baby alive was, was <laughs> the goal at that time. Yeah, baby existed, and then um, yeah, maintenance, I suppose. Yeah. How's it all going? It's awesome. Yeah, dad life is rad life, which is what I've been saying, and my wife hates that. Um, but that's you, what you're pulling the I've dad jokes already. Yeah, well, I've been training my whole life, so <laughs> here we are now. I finally have my dad pass, so I get to make the dad jokes. Super lame, but um, but really fun. So Brisbane Design Conference for for those who haven't been yeah. before, it's it's really worth a trip. I think that there isn't there's lots of conferences we have, but it's it's quite intimate. This conference, everyone's really friendly. Maybe that's the Brisbane vibe, but you really feel like you can walk up and I guess talk to anyone. And there's, there's no, what I really like about it is that there's no divide between the audience and the speakers. Like everyone's just there to be inspired and improve the industry. And because there's no divide, because they're sitting in the audience with you, it kind of just means that there's some amazing conversations that happen over the three days. Yeah. And you've had access to like a lot of amazing speakers as well during your time there, which is great. I know. And you know, that's, that's really wonderful. And and because of the way it's set up, you just kind of pull them off to the side and, and go and have a quick chat and, you know, it's Dreamtime who's who's obviously our major sponsor, also does quite a lot of that conference. Andy Wright ran some really awesome kind of breakouts and kind of workshops this year. Um, in particular, I wanted to talk about this session on burnout that he did, which was a really hot topic during this conference. And he ran this awesome panel uh, that had Mills from Us Two, Kelly Anna, Morella from Womenta. They're going to release the audio at some point. Uh, so keep an ear out on me, either on the Never Not Creative or the Streamtime social channels. Um, but yeah, definitely worth listening to because they, they kind of got into some really kind of heavy stuff and some um, some really, I think, helpful stuff. But if, yeah, if you haven't checked out Streamtime yet, go to streamtime.net where you can get started for free. Um, so who did we have on this episode of ADR? So this episode is Prue Jones and myself speaking to T. Uglo who is the creative person in charge at Google Creative Lab. And it was amazing. Yeah, I had the pleasure of uh, editing, like running through this episode. And it's quite interesting when you, when I haven't been involved at all, I wasn't even there. And you had a chat to, to T. I completely forgot that Prue was your guest, which is great. I mean, what a perfect person to have I involved. Know. And I thoroughly enjoyed listening, listening to this. I made a lot of notes myself, which is always just a real pleasure. It was, it was a little bit like I turned on the equipment and then I just shut up, basically. <laughs> just, that was my favorite part of the episode was that you well, shut me, up. Well, me, me shutting up, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think, um, I think no, there's really something when, when you've got people of that caliber and that intelligence, I, I always subscribe to the theory of, of just be quiet and nod a lot because mm. uh, then there's, there's less chance of me saying something stupid. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's um, it's been my philosophy a lot. Um, but here we are doing a podcast, um, unsolicited advice and talking to people. Yeah, I, um, I won't give anything away, but there was I, I seriously did like write so many things down that, that T had mentioned. Uh, I even paused the 
editing process and kind of went and had a chat to my to my wife and i was just like oh it's so amazing like actually think about this and like expanding it out and it's not just for designers i think it's also for any like it's really for anybody that's a human working anything to do with technology can find this stuff really interesting and there's a book analogy in there that i love that i won't uh, spoil is, is that the bit you liked yeah i really like that as well it's i've i've had real trouble trying to explain it to other people though i think um i've clearly missed part of the the important part so Obviously, yeah, we talk yeah. about it on this podcast, so which is really good. But yeah, just you know, just lovely to spend time with T. Always lovely to spend time with Prue, obviously. But T's just so so smart and so considered, and you know, she even you know when she gives you a hug, it's even like she just holds on for that extra little bit, and so it actually feels <laughs> it feels like a hug rather than just kind of Next like level. a yeah, it would, you know. Quite often people just give give you a quick hug, but it doesn't really. But yeah, there's just she's just considered and she thinks about things on a whole different level. And yeah, it was just wonder, wonderful getting to spend some time with her. And um, yeah, so should yeah, we jump in? Well, absolutely, let's go. So, T, I want to talk about what, how you lied to Google <laughs> about your PowerPoint skills. I didn't lie about my PowerPoint skills. I lied. Well, I suppose I did lie in that. Did you or did you not say that you could do the job of the PowerPoint template person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was invited to do a job with PowerPoint. And at no point did they actually say, have you ever used PowerPoint? <laughs> so it's their fault. Yeah, I think it was more... <laughs> It's more guilt through omission than an actual lie. Um, and then after the interview, when they said, will you come in? I actually rang up the other designer and was like, so I've never really used this program. <laughs> and she was like, it's fine. <laughs> and now, of course, you're like, yeah, it's PowerPoint. But it was PowerPoint. I started at Google. I only went in to do one month's work. I was temping. I wasn't even coming from a particularly good place. I think I just lost a job. And um, I was feeling kind of fairly flat about stuff. And my phone was like, come and do some PowerPoint slides for Google's sales team. And I was like, okay, there's free food, <laughs> you know, and the money's good, actually. What, what was Google like at that time? Um, it still felt huge. I remember thinking I, don't, I never wanted to work for a huge um, Merkin tech corp. So I was already kind of whatever the opposite of disposed was. Like, I, I really genuinely didn't feel like walking through the big glass doors and going, oh, this is another place that's not for me. This isn't where I belong. But it was actually tiny in comparison to how it is now. I think there were like 5,000 people in the, like the organization worldwide. And there were 100 and something in London. Um, this was... I just can't mm, even imagine a world with only 5,000 Google. <laughs> <laughs> like it was one of those times where I, you know, my friend worked there and I was like, yeah, but what do you do? Which actually people still go, but what do you do? We still don't know <laughs> how to answer that. But yeah, it was, so, so actually what happened was that it was kind of chaotic and it was chaos and there wasn't, there weren't good com communication lines and all of those sorts of things. And one thing I had just recently finished is a, a master's in design management. So like the more organized side of my personality had was dying to do kind of organizational structure and kind of building teams and working with suppliers and building process and all of those things. I was, I was really up for that at that exact moment. And I just happened to be in a company that was growing super fast and had no design structure across the whole of Europe. So 
that's what happened. I, I was in the right place at the right time. And there, there was always a certain amount of luck to anyone's story when they tell you that. But there was a certain amount where it's like, yeah, and then I made the most of where I was and what they needed. So it's an enormous jump, though, to go from PowerPoint template person to where you are now. So that's clearly not just luck. Um, no. <laughs> is there a question in there? I'm not I, sure I, there is. I th- oh, yeah, I'm, is it- I'm really interested in, in hearing more about the trajectory. Like you famously say things like, you know, your, your answer is, I don't know. Yeah. But clearly, you know. I no, mean, I mean. <laughs> to, uh, yes, for, to go from basically being a PowerPoint monkey at entry level to now running creatively google google labs i mean there oh i don't run it i mean my boss is in new york he runs it and he runs it he's in charge in sydney yeah for for the bit that i run like my bit we we work we do a specific kind of type of project and actually we keep that team small but your question is really valid and i I think that for me i always feel like it, it it breaks up into these little chunks of when when i'm doing what i'm doing and that moment where i realize i have made myself completely redundant by hiring really good people so much so that I I really not needed anymore because you my principle has always been like to find the people that do know what they're doing. So yeah, I know I don't know what I'm doing, but I know enough. Like I taught myself how to code and I taught myself PowerPoint. Um, I taught myself <laughs> so that Having graduated to Keynote. <laughs> <laughs> much nicer transitions. Um, yeah, the Google Slides people would like me to use Google Slides. <laughs> <laughs> Is this an I endorsement actually, for Google products? <laughs> interestingly, I was there when we started doing that and I was very interested in the idea that you could make a slide out of an HTML object and that this is how that would work so from a technical i have a very geeky side as well so i was very very interested in that so i spent a very long time being interested in that and now not interested in it so yeah <laughs> <use> keynote. Um, <laughs> it has always been a process of getting to the end of a cycle and those cycles are normally four to five years i've been there 13 14 years i'd say like probably i can see the kind of end of the tunnel of like a third cycle and they have been really interesting career progressions and they could have been at completely different companies. They just all happen to have been at the same company. And it, it's sort of really nice looking back and going, you can see a kind of art about the work, which exists now. You can look at it now and go, oh, right, yeah, so you've been working in this idea about information and space and how digitals work with humans and technology and culture for a really long time. It's like, that's more accident than, that's not more accident than design. That's more just like, someone having personality like that's how I work that's that's the kind of work that interests me and so those ones are stronger and they remain strong and they become part of that canon and you do the things that you're strong at hopefully until you find someone to replace you all of the team structure so the organizational structure eventually got replaced by people who are good at organizational structure like good at design management coding parts eventually I had to hire someone who knew how to code and they built a whole team we we bought a company called YouTube for a lot of money and I was like, we're probably going to make some films. So I, <laughs> I hired a video producer and I didn't really know much about it, but we had a lovely time. And she now runs a video kind of her company. Um, and all of these things in their own little way became their own little things. Um, we launched a browser called Chrome and it was, for me, it was, there were a lot of things which you can talk about in very kind of traditional marketing models. But for me, it was always just a very fascinating tool that could do things that we wanted to share. So it became, how do we share that stuff? 
And how do we kind of, Andy was really big on this, how do you remember the magic that is that is in this technology, in these products? I mean, it's just the same as someone turning on a television for the first time or seeing a printing press work for the first time or, or you know, the, the, the cinema when they had the trains in the, the, the locomotive coming towards you on the screen and the people in the yeah, audience are screaming. Petrified. And it's like, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is not new. But the idea that we would blithely pass through these moments of extraordinary magic and importance as you begin to allow people... and we we maybe take it for granted a little bit at the moment and it is possible to kind of put that back in front of people and go, look what's happening. What's happening is amazing. We should kind of find a way to celebrate that and rejoice in it and, and make it beautiful and make it special and occasionally make it terrifying if it needs to be. Talk more about that. Oh, well, we did a ghost book recently with them. Yeah, very interesting right. books. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> I love to hear you talk about books. Before I began, one of the things that I did do was book arts. And I find it deeply amusing that 20 years later, I'm back doing book arts. Because I really learned to design as a designer because I was surrounded by sort of people doing who knew how to design because they were doing book arts. But I had no idea how to design because I was coming from a fine arts background. So I was... This was the first time I'd been using computers. Oh, well, it's not the first time, but every time I'd used computers, I was like, this is rubbish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. So, yeah. Which I still feel. And actually, that's kind of part of the driving force of everything. It's like, this is a rubbish way to do this. There must be a, a better way to get this thing to do the thing. But yeah, I became a designer because I wasn't going to make any money making books. That was very clear. And then I pretended to be a designer until, I, you know, and there's this kind of progression. Um, and knowing enough about those things allows you to find talent. That's all you really need to do is you need to know enough to be able to spot talent. And that's great. And then you hire the talent and, <laughs> um, and take the credit. Oh, I'm sure you're being very humble, I think. But this book, yeah, so there's yes. a book. So we've been making books for about five years and these books, which is very much a passion project. that's mm. um, kind of got a little bit out of hand with a, a, a publishing house. It was to do, I think, originally in, to do with play, Google Play books and things like that. Um, and it was what would happen if you had books which were made for digital, made for the mobile phone. And to get to that point, you have to realize that the thing that makes a book a book is kind of a technological kind of parameter. If you take a book and remove the spine, then it's no longer a book. It's mm. just a load of pages. Mm -hmm. But if you leave the spine on but remove the words, somehow that's still a book. What, um, a, what about the smell of books? Yeah, well, there's different mm. things. But like if you could remove the smell of a book, would that make it not a book? Mm. It's about that bit, that it's about that moment where you cross over from going, this object is this object, and I understand it as a cultural form. It's a, a vessel that we describe as a book. And I'm like, right, what happens if, if we start to mess about with that on digital? Because you can't bind pages on digital. You can have like paginal structures, and you can like start to explore what happens that you can't do with printed pages that are bound down one side. You can't go in more than one direction. You have this linearity. In fact, so much of culture is bound by these conventions that are structural, like you start on page one and you go to 273, or you come into the auditorium and you sit and you listen, or you, you go to the theater and then the performance is on the stage, or like even this week, where we're, we're standing on, on stages talking to, to audiences, and then you have to realize that the reason we're doing that is because that's the shape of the box. It's yep. not because that's the best way to, to get our information to this group of people. 
Not that digital is any better, but it's very fascinating when you start to go, okay, so what happens when we remove that structure? What happens? Not, not that it's better. It's an experiment, right? Like an, an observational experiment. So we were doing all these observational experiments on books about what happens when you allow the text to change or what happens when you do it so that it's got a very visual component or what happens when it's a dialogue or what happens when it's actually all told through maps and street view. What, how, what kind of book is it if you can go in any direction at once? What kind, how do you write that? And we've been doing books which you see from multiple perspectives and we've been seeing books which are about value systems where you, where you can own it. So there's a very strict provenance of who has owned this book using blockchain. So that's the blockchain thing. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. Which was fab. And again, you know, like all good experiments, part success and part total disaster. And without that, there's no nothing really to learn. So, yeah, one of the books we did was with um, Kate Pullen, Joe and Bath, um, an ambient lit, and editions of play and visual editions who are the publishers in the uk and it was just using the device's ability to know a bit more about where it is or where you are and to see where it was and what it could see and then throwing that that knowledge into a ghost story so that the ghost story adapted itself to know a little bit more about where you were who you were and what you could see amazing um, Amazing. And, and it's Did really, it make it extra creepy. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's creepy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's creepy in a good way because yeah. it's a ghost story and it's that's creepy that's, because... That's its job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there really should be more artists and creators working. Like, there's there's too much kind of binary thinking about these things. People are very too quick to make work, which is like, the internet is a terrible thing. And then you go, yeah, but it's not though, is it? And then there's also an awful lot of work, which is like, the internet is an amazing thing. It's like, yeah, but it's really not though, is it? <laughs> And not enough work which actually goes, like much of life, this is a complicated and nuanced thing. Yes, yeah. It is really a, it's a, not you know, binary. on the yeah. artist to use the tools of the day to explore and explain why complexity has a place in, in our lives and, and how, how we can think about this and how we can look at these ideas. It's one of the, the things that I, I wish there was more of. It's all a little shouty just at the moment. <laughs> See, this is the thing. Like, you say that you're not a great designer or anything, but I, having, as I mentioned, stalked you relentlessly for the last couple of days in preparation for talking to you, I actually feel like you might be one of the most creative individuals I have ever met. And not in just because of the, the quality of the output that you oversee, but the way you think. It's mm. just incredible and literally was thinking what questions can I ask this woman that would be you know not make me look like an idiot so yeah it's amazing to hear you talk that's still not a question Dudley. no no it's not <laughs> sorry sorry I told very you sweet. I told you I'd be a bit gushy I, um, um, I mean it's really lovely it's it very is quite difficult. uncharacteristic too I will I will have you know <laughs> I, I I um there was a question in there actually which is like I get told not to say that thing about how it's not really me a lot and it's difficult for me because i feel it's very important to credit the people who do the things oh yeah there are a couple yeah. of books that i've written where it's like i wrote those words and there's a there's an idea which i'm really f which i will take full credit for even though my friend amy brown would not agree which is that the, when we go to Cannes, there's a beach and all the companies have their beach and we were the first one to have a beach because i was there and i was like this sucks. <laughs> you can't do anything. And it's kind of horrible. And we should have a beach with free Wi-Fi, fairy lights, 
um, and smoothies. That's right. It was an activation, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we did. For, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally Solved. the only idea that I'm like, yeah, that one's mine. Everything did, was it popular? Did people go? Yeah, it's still, yeah. it then got exactly. totally corrupted by yeah. No, I mean, I just, no, I really genuinely feel like that's the only thing where it's like this, this notion of the romantic creative or, or someone who is like at best you're, 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 you use conducting. I prefer to use gardening as a metaphor. I really love this idea of the gardening thing where we, we find the people and the talent and we put them together and then we basically water them and talk to them and let them do the thing. And occasionally you do a little pruning and you do a little... Um, course correction but ideally most of my work is about working out what it is that they're doing and why it's great and then finding partners and places where we can use that and trying to put those together we just did a fantastic project with a dance company in new york called heidi latsky dance which came out of seeing one of their performances and it's all about it says it's all about like the body and the form in space because it's, it's they're all disabled dancers and it's really powerful and there's a moment called the sculpture court where it's very silent and you walk in and around them and i was like well we could actually probably use the phone to augment that more we can see where you are and allow information like allow the thoughts of the dancers to be to be with you as you when you're standing next to them right down to things like we're playing with different technologies for doing this like you could use conductive paint or you could have things where if you touched fingers, you would hear through bone transfer. Um, wow. Or there was a lovely thing where the guys realized that you can actually do the, the, the spatial conduction stuff, but without touching anything. So you can mm. kind of just touch their aura and Amazing. get sound. And then actually in the, what we ended up doing, because it worked the best, was using the camera of the phone. Like, n- and knowing where your phone is in space, is, it's been a great sort of fun part of my job for like the last five years like trying to it's something that humans do so well that they don't think they're doing it which is like yeah. knowing where you are in a room yep um, and which way you're pointing yeah i mean it's not that obvious no <laughs> like you don't have to tell you about you, it, you no. stand still like yeah. yeah you've got senses but the way in which your ears allow sound to make sense of like sonar to make sense of the materials around you the way your eyes allow whatever light sources they are to make sense of the perspective like and you're collecting all of that the fact that sound and light move at different speeds so you've got to synchronize those um there's a whole load of things i know there's a whole load of things going on in in your in your brain that happens so fast that you don't think that you're thinking and then trying to get a computer to do those things is actually really hard so i'm very Mm. big on designing for the brain where you're like well humans are really good at these Mm. things how do we allow the computers to augment the things Mm -hmm. that they don't even think they're doing when we talk about dumbing down Sometimes it's like, yeah, we're just actually letting the humans do the things that they're really good at. But for some reason, we like a challenge, so we try and make computers do those things mm. rather than... Um, that's, a, that's actually what you're talking about. I just have to ask you a question. Are you horrified or are you kind of quietly interested in the idea of neural lace and all that, those kinds of technologies? I, um, I have just have a funny view on the ideas of progress, I guess which is that it strikes me that every generation has a point where they think it was right. And that's normally that bit where they stop questioning why it can't be better. And that's the same. It's always the same. It's always, always the same. So if you just stop, if you stop yourself, if you're finding yourself going, why can't it be like it was back then? That was better. And just go, yeah, that's actually not a valid question ever. 
So never ask that. Then what you're really doing is going, this is really interesting. What can we do with it? Because that's what's happening. Yeah. That's where we're moving. Like there are fascinating questions at the moment about like that we're not addressing, partly because we don't know. <laughs> no one seems willing to take responsibility for for asking, for having incredibly difficult questions about how we're going to survive. And this is nothing to do with technology and not really to do with design, but it is to do with communication, which is like, how exactly did we just vote for the people that Reverse. want us to burn? <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, yes. It's not um. because people are stupid. It's because people are being, having truths. Their truth is, the way in which we see truth is, is how we are shown truth. So it's a communication thing, and we are in the communication field, and that, to me, is fascinating. Yeah, actually, that is a supremely good point. Um, it all being about communication. What's the answer? What I mean, <laughs> if you could just tell us. Yeah, now. could you Thank just? You. Yeah, yeah, I'll fix that. <laughs> Hang on, run the country or something. No, like, I'm not. I couldn't possibly do that. I'm really not very well they barely let me run my team um, <laughs> no i mean we have i have certain accommodations to be able to run a group of people and i think that's we were going to talk about diversity i think and yes. that's probably a good segue into it that is. Like, i'm not i'm not able to run the country but i do think that to answer the question we are and it's very interesting hearing albanese going around saying that sorry to be political but like it's very interesting hearing the presumed leader of the Labour Party going, we have to listen more than we talk. And you're like, right, so you're going to listen to people who want it to go back in time. Yeah. You can't do that. <laughs> you, at some point, someone has to tell people how to move forward in time. That's what leadership is. What's terrifying is that we are unable to tell, talk to people because of the community, the way in which we allow information to move back and forth. And it doesn't matter how you, who you want to blame for that. Like, it's not about social media. It's no one else's responsibility. It's really very much about how we teach ourselves to hear each other. Like that thing we were talking about earlier about nuance, about like the idea that, that it, there are, it is complicated. People have, how do we let people understand that it is complicated? No one's mm. allowed to say it is complicated. And no one's yeah. allowed to say, I don't know. Yeah. Which is yeah. why I say, I don't know. <laughs> Because See, you should be running the country better <laughs> if everyone started from. Uh, yes. I don't know. Yeah. Here's this yeah. perspective. Here's this yeah. perspective. When we talk about a perspective, what we're talking about is an angle on a truth. Like yeah. truth is not a singular thing. It's like something which you can see from ma many different perspectives. Yeah. And it's like these two perspectives clearly can't like align. But we've gathered these perspectives, and I'm going to synthesize these perspectives to give you some idea of where we feel we should go. And it is not this is the truth or that is the truth. It's got to be an understanding. And yeah, the real tragedy at the moment is just like we are not going in a direction where we're encouraging people to think that there's some complexity and nuance and delicacy and we all mm. have to live together. We're literally going the other way. And that, that, that's terrifying. Yeah, that is terrifying. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I think, I think you've just nailed it. I mean, that is, it is terrifying. And, and that leadership, you know, perhaps it is time for a completely different approach uh, to leadership to avoid the disaster we're heading towards. If, I'd love if to hear politicians doesn't. be able to go, well, I don't know. I'm a yeah. old white guy. <laughs> how do I know what's best to teach kids in school? Yeah. Like, how do I know what's best to do? I, yeah. I worry, though, when it gets to the point of Brexit, for example, where yeah. it was like, well, we don't know. So we'll just we'll do a vote, which mm. then was very affected by... 
Yeah. The back and forth. By the communication. All of which we now know to be completely false. Yes. Which mm. is fascinating. It's like it's like not a shred of it stands. And yet the outcome does stand. <laughs> it's I mean, I'm and British as well as Australian. It's yeah. like it's very hard to see that and not go so no one's in charge then. I mean, really, no one's no. in charge. Well, then you've got the marriage equality thing where they sent out letters to people when they already knew what the majority of the Australian public thinks. Oh, and yeah. they should have just taken leadership and, and done that. Yeah. And, yeah, so the things that they should be concerning themselves with, they're not, and vice yeah. versa. I mean, these are communication things. We, we do see, and we did see with the marriage equality vote, like, and, and these are all political things, but I'm really just talking about them in terms of communication, mm, yes. in terms of, like, how... Because I don't have a... I don't... I mean, I do have an opinion. That's my personal opinion. I also think it's really important not to have an opinion in order to hear the perspectives. Because the second you've got an opinion, that means that you blink yourself from the other perspective. So, I mean, I do try and find some... I mean, I'm trans. I can hear some pretty horrible perspectives about mm. whether I deserve to exist or not. And so, and the same with marriage equality. Like, it, all of these things... I'm writing a book about queer speeches at the moment and you see these cycles of information and misinformation happening again and again and again. And you see the bravery required by individuals to stand up and communicate in environments where it's incredibly hostile. And what's fascinating about it is that it's kind of the same thing happening again and again and again. There's no real kind of structural difference. Like the the, the power structure and and what you have to do to confront it to to allow it to accommodate and acknowledge you that's the problem this is the problem we're facing with the me too movement Mm -hmm. this is the problem with uh, like a lot of these kind of moments of sort of communication breakthrough with environmental change these are not so much about the truth they're about the dominant narrative and who is going to like you said the australian the you know they sent out letters but they knew what Mm. the australian people thought it's like like it's just that answer asks so many questions it's like well whose truth is it yeah because if you look at brexit again they asked everyone and they got the result that they weren't expecting mm. but now they're kind of beholden to it yes and it's, it's it feels like very much like pushing the blame somewhere else yeah to an extent it's like i just have this problem with truth which is that it's not a thing mm. it's not a thing which you can go this is the one thing yep like and and our job as designers is very often to go. Here is the one thing. This is why you need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You ask me to solve a problem, and here yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> we end up with an, a solution-oriented exercise. From whereas really we should always be coming from a situation awareness exercise where mm. you know where we are right now, mm-hmm. and you provide a range of solutions which have the potential to deliver whatever it is, whether you want forty percent growth or whether you want to communicate something. And instead of which we get very fixated on this single out outcome where we decide what the output is at the beginning of the process. And that is not a very creative process. It's a production process. Mm. And it negates, again, this kind of thing about talking because we're coming in knowing what we want people to say at the end. It's frustrating that there's not enough work where you're going, you come away looking at it going, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when we come back to it again. It's like, it's not just about me. It's about a general... Yeah belief I or understanding notice. that yeah. not knowing is fine fine yeah 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 i just can't imagine a client no, being I okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes in consulting world that is a no-no you must know the answers at all times it's, it's i mean when you talked about the book i mean i love the fact that someone is thinking about that 
And I love the fact that you can get paid to do that. And someone is like, because that, that is a really interesting idea, but I can't see many. The commercial application or. Yeah. No, no, no there's no commercial no. application. No. I mean, but I'm not. Amazing. I'm like, there's plenty of people doing non-commercial, fascinating non-commercial yeah. things. It's like the problem is, is that there's no money to be made from exactly. showing them. Yes. So mm. you don't know that they're happening. That's right. Like, yeah. we go back into it, whereas where there's a commercial application, you find that there's, they're really kind of banal and boring. Yeah. But, hey, we're going to hear about them every 10 minutes um, for 30 seconds mm-hmm. until you want to buy one, or at least your kids want to buy one. Yes. And, um, Very impressionable. And that, 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 <laughs> that's a, you know, we all put an awful lot. So, so yeah, trying to, trying to um, find ways to allow deeper, richer cultural conversations mm. to occur within commercial mainstream is yeah. something which if people wanted to take responsibility for it would be fabulous yeah. mm. it's it's really interesting because um do you feel like with the proliferation of technology and screens and people all out there doing their own thing and having the ability to experiment for themselves to teach them something like the, the internet is a veritable encyclopedia mm-hmm. of of how to's i'm interested in creating something people like anyone can go and do yes. it so do you feel like this prol- proliferation of creative outlets i guess is really causing more sort of less less towards the commercial outlets and more more just experimentation for the sake of it and i guess where google is concerned obviously they can fund a whole lot of these projects and it's you mean our work well, yeah like our work is 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 but and it might not necessarily section. have a have a commercial purpose like google's not going to sell it no um, so no i mean i do think as we talked about earlier like this importance of remembering what is special about yeah. technology is yes is and that, that this is a moment that we're moving through that we shouldn't waste that we should celebrate and the fact that actually yeah there here is a large american corporation that has has employees who are allowed to think about these things and and you would love to sometimes when you see people just kind of putting google in a box you would love to go actually there are really difficult conversations going on at every level of the company and it's a very nuanced yeah. and difficult thing and yeah, we care. We're very passionate yeah. about it. Argu- arguably, that work is is actually more important than anything else, really, in terms of you know just the humanity of it. I mean, looking at the belongings project. Yeah, right, to my oh. manager. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I love it. I agree, and I do think that that is really important. It's one of the great things about the culture at the company is that there has always been, um, and you see it spilling out now into the public, which is very unfortunate. Like, there's been always been a culture where this is a company that has belief that everyone there's a certain kind of flatness to the hierarchy where people can will speak truth to power people will always stand up for the user people will say what they feel is best this is the, this is a culture where and as it's got better bigger it's harder to retain that sense of this is a culture where different people exist right-wing people left-wing people mm, yeah. um gay people and straight people and all sorts of you know like there's a, a whole group devoted to intersectionality um, both of religion and of abilities and like I have a lot of mental health concerns there's some very interesting work going on there there's the trans community there's it's an amazing kind of support like there, it is a community in a, in a world in itself it's quite the most amazing place because you get these very delicate nuanced conversations but also you get this it is an American corporation that has mm. to go somewhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's it's got to make decisions about things with regard to the earlier point about 
arts and culture and we what we're seeing which i struggle with a little bit more is the there's been this amazing there was this amazing period for about 15 years of incredible democratization both of tools and of distribution over the internet and what there wasn't was um were channels of like clear channels so what it did was it very much broke down the gatekeeper model that we'd had in place around what was good music what was good literature like Mm -hmm. what was you know like we were no longer we were just no longer restrained by that and you have both the freedom of choice but also like this this opportunity for anyone in their bedroom to to do that and become Bieber (laughs) he did yeah and you know I've got like those kind of people who I've followed and who now are well into their careers and they've they've never they're still like they're very successful YouTubers and this is a such a weird concept it's like no I've never heard of this person but they've got you know 100 million views it's like how weird like that would never have happened so there isn't there's a lot of theory about how that um differentiation and and disintegration of channels happens and what the um what the outcomes are for culture what we have seen more recently has been the democratization of truth which has become very very Mm. difficult Mm. where you go this notion which i talk about quite glibly because from a philosophical point of view it's very interesting to to understand that truth is what we would call intersubjective like if trump does say something enough times it does sort of become true like if if um the brexit people do say something enough times it becomes true even though they can then be confronted with evidence of them saying the other thing these this is that's politics like it's certainly true that's politics where people have a lot of passion it's certainly true at a much more commercial level mm-hmm. We talk about um, things being true. I'm very interested in diets, about why certain, why we don't know. Like how a yeah. diet can be better than another diet. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested for, from a mental health perspective. I'm very interested in it from a diversity and inclusion perspective about how we um, decide what is normal. Mm. And again, this is yeah. communications. Mm-hmm. This, isn't a, this isn't a but thing. What about when communications themselves become not true and you know, with things like deep fakes and stuff oh like yeah that. i mean like well, are we entering a period where like there's there's no compass there's no we don't know where we are like you were saying about locating yourself in a room how do we locate ourselves in the world when all the reference points are missing because anything can be fabricated it'll be interesting right yeah i thought it was completely fascinating and i wasn't a huge fan of it last year at dnad as as president of the digital jury i was very against awarding the, the Times, I can't remember what the agency was that made the work. Um, the JFK The stuff. JFK thing. That was us. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not Fjord, it was it. It was done by Accenture. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, so, so, well, then you're the perfect person to answer mm. the, the point that I made, you know, and continue to make, which is that it's amazing technology that we can now use pieces of fragments of, a, of someone's conversation, recorded conversations, to recreate them their speech patterns sufficiently that we can then have them give a speech that they were going to mm, give mm. not that they gave but that they were They're going, going to, to give yeah but then it's very peculiar that a newspaper that a newspaper mm. would use a fabricated piece of history in order to promote their ability to tell the truth yes that you you do point out an obvious flaw there <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then what's most wonderful for me is like it then goes around the world to award ceremonies in in the advertising community winning a lot of awards because it's both technologically clever and and kind of intellectually intriguing both of which are true but there is no we do not have within those sets of like 
What are we valuing when we talk about cr valuing creativity, when we value the technology, when we value the impact, when we value the, the creativeness? We really don't have a, a kind of moral compass, which is like, yeah, but guys, there's a secondary consequence to this or a tertiary mm. consequence mm -hmm. to this. And we can't celebrate it, unfortunately, because this, like maybe it's a an app that Ikea are using in a global campaign that was actually devised by some interns of theirs three years ago that was awarded a kind of student pencil, but then they've been completely erased from the history of this and, mm -hmm. and it's being re-awarded to that agency. Like maybe it's a, a, a campaign where the, the um, media agency are putting it forward the year after it won a gold line and claiming it was actually their idea and, and repackaging the entire thing. And then when confronted with this, we'll actually just go, well, the people behind us were lying too. <laughs> right. What are we meant to do? That's our yeah. industry. Yeah. Yeah. What are we meant to do? Like, who who's Can going to stand up? You've got are people you actually Madonna asking me? Yeah, why? <laughs> because <laughs> I, would, I would say, I, these I don't amazing know. amazing women, like, so they're like Madonna Badger and Cindy Gallup. And, yeah. And who are standing up and going, please, 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 can we please stop and have a look at our ethics? Have a look at who we are and what we're doing. Yeah. And, um, and it's really hard listening to them be applauded and then everyone turn around and go straight back to... And Silicon Valley has a similar problem. Like there are people like the wonderful guy who did Homo Sapiens who's, who's basically wandering around at the moment doing kind of a tour of the valley going, this is terrible, You're, we're all going to die and it's your fault. Words to that effect. Um, <laughs> Paraphrasing. <laughs> Paraphrasing slightly. But like, yeah, we will go, ah, oh, that's amazing. Anyway, what were we... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. That is a phenomenon now. It's a huge problem. Is it... Is it from distraction, like everyone's so distracted now. Yeah, it's just like everyone's. Or is it? Or is, or is it the problem seems too big that they can't mm. find what they can do about it? Mm. But every human really has like that potential. Mm. They just need to do the little thing that makes it into a big thing. Yep, so I think I think John Jonathan Safran Frower put it really well in his book about eating animals, which made me give up meat. Just showing the sort of the land that you need if you were a vegan compared to the land that you would need if you were a meat eater. And, and that to me was the first time I was like, okay, I understand it. I've got it now. Mm. And, and, and I knew what I had to do in order to make a very small change, but mm. start the change. Yeah, and the water and all of the things. Mm. And like You like to think that people could see that their impact collectively has impact. And then we get back to the election. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So who isn't communicating? Where where do we go? Where do we go right with that? These are really good, big questions that our our industry should be having. I don't have answers. It's not for us to have answers. No one should have answers, but we should at least have questions, and the questions should be. But we are we can problem discuss. solvers, aren't we? Well, yeah. I don't know. The problem is, is that sometimes when you frame the problem in in terms of the output that you want, you're not a problem mm. solver. Mm. You're an output deliverer mm. or an outcome deliverer. And, and for a lot of people, those outcomes are, we need more money so that the sharehold share price will go up or we need to stay in power. I'm not quite sure why they need to stay in power, but they need to stay in power. <laughs> <laughs> so that we're not in opposition. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what yeah. is it? It's like, what, I don't know enough about any of those systems um, or structures, but you do see structures. Everywhere you see structures and you see this thing of going, just like the binding on a book it's like what happens if you remove the structure and do this a different way around I mean, there's fantastic projects like um democracy now which is like or is a new democracy like where like they're just different models for approaching yep. the similar thing so you get longer term solutions which have better longer term social impact these are things which should not be dismissed as cranks but 
again, because they don't fit into our systems, they don't fit into the structures. Maybe all of this is about inclusion. Because within this, within you the said you were terrible at segways before. <laughs> Did that I? was that was one of the best segways I've ever heard. <laughs> is it time for us to start talking about that? Yeah, yeah. We, do, we do need to. We're getting we towards the end. Ah. yeah. But first, there's maybe not so much a question about inclusion, but I am fascinated to know about the state of our industry. I guess I mean, you are in the very unique position of having experienced what it's like to work in the industry on both sides of the fence can you confirm or deny (laughs) (laughs) that as a woman things are more difficult i can't confirm or deny partly because the process of my transition has kind of elevated me to a a different status Mm. so yeah and and also i've been really like it was it's very difficult for it's very difficult it's very difficult and like what it has meant is that a lot of other conditions like mental health conditions um are kind of a bit bonkers basically so i i now f- demand um my accommodations so if i don't want to be in the room i'm not going to be in the room and if you don't want to talk to me that's fine i'm not going to listen but yeah you yeah. do get those things where people don't they, they, I still have that wonderful thing of being talked straight over. That's ex- that's astonishing. Yeah. I have that thing of not being listened to when, or being challenged on things which you want to go. I have that thing of knowing that it's probably better not to speak rather than to speak. There's been fascinating things within the speaker circuit where you where you notice who comes up to you, like the fact that it always used to be guys, and they always used to want to tell me about their work, and now it is more mixed but there's a lot of women who are willing to come up and and ask you talk to you and just to talk to you as a human that is fascinating and it is fascinating because you're there going where were you before because i would have given you the same advice i wanted to and you realize actually how hard it is for male allies to put themselves in those to to be the good guy like we've made it really we made it again a kind of binary thing where where it's really hard to to demonstrate that it makes it harder to do something as an ally when you feel that it's not your place to get in the way i know that it's yeah there are a few other things which i probably wouldn't get into in in detail (laughs) about conversation and things which are very interesting and yeah i got like invited to consider a role as a part-time digital marketing manager yesterday so (laughs) (laughs) clearly my career is going going. (laughs) Was that to accommodate your children? I don't know. Yeah, it was a call from a recruiter. It was like, yeah, you're, you know, this with this view of interest to your career. I was like, I'm not sure you're the right person. (laughs) That is hilarious. What a recording of that. (laughs) (laughs) I want a recording of what you said to them in return. Uh, I don't know. I think that there is this this uh, for me. There's this fascination within the industry of wanting young guns. Um, and wanting kind of like rabble rousers and people who who know no limits and all of this language we use to communicate what we want mm. from our young creatives and I it is very macho still mm. the language that we use to describe both their both them as individuals and their outputs like new bloods is another one it's like really <laughs> why um, yeah, that is there's, odd there's, I never considered that like it's not. A hunt, it's not a hunting thing, you know, it doesn't need to be like that. And we don't need to use those metaphors. We don't need to use that kind of 
that language and and it's also massively um it's very easy for communities to exclude without understanding why they're excluding and that's very very it's not just about women it's actually about it's majorly about minorities it's like the idea that inclusion or diversity is a thing mm. i find very difficult because yeah. it's not a thing it's an again we come back to inputs and outputs yes it's an output yes acknowledgement is a thing you can yes. acknowledge that these people exist you can then accommodate the fact that they exist accommodate seems like such an awful word though. yeah i know the first time i was invited to think about my accommodations i was like i have a house <laughs> <laughs> i don't need a house i'm fine for that um, but is that literally what they're called? It's literally what you, what the word that we, that, that, I mean, and I know lots of people who hate the word, but there is, you find me a better word than the thing that allows the existing structure. So there's two ways of looking at this. The structure exists, we're back to structures, whether that's your family, whether that's your work, whether that's your government, whether it's like the sports team, it doesn't matter. Even if it's like how you hang out with your friends, like there is a structure. You can pick it apart and go, yeah, well, we wouldn't do that, but we would do that. There are rules. Like there are parameters within that structure, it is likely that you will be excluding certain people. Now, most of the time, that's fine. Like, and within family structures, what you're doing is setting up for life these prejudices and this idea of difference of other people, of people being other. We even do it with machines. We're making AIs into other things, even mm. though once they're useful, we just consider them to be a map. Um, yeah. Like it's wild. It's like, yeah. but the rest of the time it's a glowing red dot that's going to shut you out of the airlock. It's bizarre, um, <laughs> and it's the same with disabled people. Like the second they're your friend, it's like that's fine. Yeah, they're great, but like the rest of the time they're these strange people who can't do anything and, and live in wheelchairs or autistic people, people on that spectrum, like or and in many disabilities, like, or the whole neurodiverse kind of constellation, which we're just beginning to approach now, like um, ADHD and dyslexia and dyspraxia and I'm face blind, which kind of falls into yeah. that one because it's a technical, I mean, like, you know, the technicality. <laughs> <laughs> and these groups are alienated mainly because the people inside the structures don't understand how to accommodate them within their structure. And there are two options. One, leave them outside. It was fine before, it'll be fine now. It's like, <laughs> yeah. fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty much the approach we've taken. Or yeah. um, option two appears to be, yeah, let them in, but don't change the structure because, like, I know they can't work within that structure. And believe me, I'm difficult to work with. I, and it is difficult. It's like, I feel for, like, it's really difficult. As a manager, I've got a problem at the moment, which is I am difficult to work for, for and with, but I do need to be accommodated to do the work. But at the same time, I can see that structurally it would make more sense to remove me from this structure. This is this point at which I start to go, oh, I'm making myself redundant. Um, <laughs> it would make more sense for, this, for the effectiveness of the group to retain a structure in which it can produce its outputs better than to have me in disrupting the structure. The structure is, has solidified to a point where it can't accommodate me. The, like A better solution is like rebuild the structure. And, and people won't do that. Keep, keep mm. keeping the structure is only a short-term fix, isn't it? Yeah, totally. That's, yeah. that's a band-aid. Yeah. yeah. We see like moments of massive structural kind of apocalypse are things like Me Too where everyone's like, oh, we can't carry on like that. Yeah. We really cannot carry on. And like it's the degree the to which yeah. we have been carrying on and actually the degree to which my generation of women are there going, yeah, like these young kids, it's like, of course we got touched up. That's just what happened. And uh, me sitting on the other side of it going, Oh my God, I wonder if I was a predator. Like literally having to kind of do that thing of going, 
how was my actions construed? Like, how bad was I? It's very complicated for me because my memory is terrible. But also, I think it's quite an interesting thing from my perspective to know that, like, having walked down dark alleys as a guy, I know I walked down there going, I don't know what to do. Should I shout to say that I'm not a threat? Like, is that going to be a good thing or mm. not? Should I speed up so that I can overtake her and then I won't be a threat? Or is that going to scare her even mm. more? Should I slow down? Mm. But then I've really kind of got to get to the end of the alley. Yeah. Like, how do I resolve, <laughs> resolve this situation? This thing of going, I'm the good guy, is yeah. exactly what the bad guy would do. So, yeah. so There's what? a fabulous <laughs> article, actually. Somebody has written an article for, for men sort of right, detailing yeah. what to do. There's a lot uh, of stuff for yeah. that group, for yeah. the group who were in that structure mm. to understand how to reconfigure structures and it doesn't matter whether it's men or the advertising industry or politics or like it doesn't matter where your structure is. Structures can always be dismantled and rebuilt and sometimes it's just about having the conversations to understand what, what we need and, and one of the great things about the internet is that it lets voices emerge so we are hearing from intersections of society that we've never heard from and they are refusing to go away yeah so yeah we will have to rebuild the structures eventually but i don't know how we do that <laughs> like i said you know, i don't know answers <laughs> lots <laughs> of problems <laughs> i don't know talking about structures this is my, this is my opportunity to do a segue we we have reached the end unfortunately Oh. Of the podcast. That's not Aww. a segue. That's a full stop. That was a. Full <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad now. There is. We we actually didn't touch any of the questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you half did one. Oh. <laughs> you already did again with questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Thank you so much. That's that was right. that was so amazing just to to hear from you and and I've really look forward to just talking to you yeah. today and and for the next couple of days we get to spend together. Where can people find out more about you and, and what you're doing? I'm very Googleable. <laughs> like, it's mainly on the internet. Um, what I'm doing is slightly harder because I hate self-promoting, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, you know there's, I do talks here and there and all around. And it's just a kind of getting involved in your local local creative communities and ideally I'll turn up. And actually, just getting in touch and telling people to... to Ask me. That's the weirdest thing. You're like, just write to me. Yeah. Prue, where can people find out more about you? Well, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Prudence M. Jones. You can email me at fjord, prue.jones at fjordnet.com if you'd like to get in touch. You can find this episode and more at ozdesignradio.com. And if you want to follow the show on Twitter or Instagram, it's Oz Design Radio. Thank you so much. <laughs>